Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Yeah, so the session's done. <laughs> well, kind of, right? Suspended? Yes. Suspended. In record time? Yeah, so we are recording this on Sunday night, uh, March 29th. Uh, the legislature has as of about oh about 17 hours ago has passed the state operating budget with funding in the reverse sweep and all that sort of good stuff and um it's heading home it was a really tough vote last night because the people who were unsatisfied with the work um were really dragged to the table through kind of a, a bunch of like, yeah. I don't know what you want to call them, booby traps. I mean, there was just like poison pills yeah. in, in this bill where well, if you if you don't vote to fund it, then the things that are not funded are the COVID response and half of the dividend yeah. payment. And it basically would have made people look really bad if they'd voted against it. Right. And some people did. Um, so I guess it's like, let's, let's back up just a second and just talk about like where we're at right now. So the legislature... Um, had been kind of going around the session this year as if it had been really normal for about the first 40 days, 45 days, I want to say. Um, they were passing the budget. There were, they, you know, the status quo budget. There wasn't a lot of cuts this year. There wasn't a lot of new stuff this year. They were kind of pushing off this discussion about what is going to happen with the PFD, you know, because we are at a point where you know, the the ability to pay PFDs and, and, and pay for government is all kind of starting to pinch. And then COVID-19 happened and it's gotten a whole lot worse. So things have really sped up in the last few weeks. And so they were in a pressure cooker basically of like time, um, like everyone wanted to get out of Juno. They were working all in close quarters, which seemed wildly irresponsible. Um, and yeah. they I, that was one funny thing about this whole thing is that they weren't they were all just like having these like close quarter meetings and they weren't really doing a lot to like mitigate their interactions, at least from what I saw in gavel to gavel. And right. it, um, you know, like they weren't really leading by example in the way they were interacting with one another. Except for David Eastman, who is wearing uh, his Howard the Duck cosplay the whole time with a yeah. N95 respirator and goggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the things that they're kind of trying to wrap up in these last few days, they were kind of passing anything that they could kind of get to the finish line. So several sort of big bills, um, education reform, um, I think alcohol uh, to rewrite, uh, both uh, kind of were, were victims of that. You know, maybe, you know, talking to different people, depending on who you talk to, that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um but the really must things, must sort of the over the last few days, the things that have really materialized as sort of must pass is you know the budget. Um, there's supplemental budget to cover the holes in the current year, and then there is the sort of broad kind of omnibus sort of COVID nineteen disaster emergency declaration as long with like several other sort of things all wrapped in there. Um, the big thing that they wanted they needed to kind of take care of is this thing called the three quarter vote. It's, it's, you know, getting into the um, constitutional budget reserve is the one thing where the minority has some leverage. And they were hoping this year to be able to use that in discussions about the PFD cuts. You know, some of them really wanted to talk about uh, anti-abortion legislation. So they were not really budging. So they've, you know, they denied it on the supplemental budget 
And then I think as of sun Saturday, the the approach became, well, yeah, like as you said, tie everything together and sort of force people if they don't vote for that, then COVID nineteen response disappears or funds disappear from the operating budget, as well as um, half of the fall yeah. PFD. It was real hardball tactics, but like I guess if you've been following this, you kind of can see. You know, like these these people were dragged kind of kicking and screaming to the table and made to eat their vegetables and and I think that like we're all better for it but man it was it was rough and there were some good speeches um actually I think one of the people who who uh, outlined their position the best was uh, Senator Shower I'm just gonna play a short clip of that Senator Shower I'm gonna um, I want to talk about something here for a second I I got this and. Uh, Madam President, permission to read? Permission granted. Thank you. Uh, this was written, and some people actually might know this, um, the people that wrote this. Uh, one of them was a former U.S. Senator, Mark Begich, and the other one was a, a former governor, Sean Parnell. Unprecedented events, however, require a big, bold response. Courageous action must be taken now, not only to save lives, but also to save jobs. Our political leaders must make big decisions now, not tomorrow, not in a few months, but today. Ensuring the health of Alaskans and stabilizing the state's economy are not mutually exclusive and must be addressed in tandem. First, Alaskans need cash now, and they're gonna need it across the next three to five months. Rents and mortgages, car payments, grocery bills, and childcare costs don't go away, even when the economy grinds to a halt. To stabilize the economy, we must get as much cash as possible into the hands of impacted Alaskans and Alaska businesses across several months. The governor and some legislators appear ready to come up with a one-time emergency payment. This needs to happen now, and frankly, we think many Alaskans need three to four emergency payments spread out one per month for several months. They've been in government service a long while. Most economists agree we need to get cash out there now. We talked about that on the debate on Monday. We're not doing it. We decided that October is good enough. They don't need that now, apparently. One $1,200 payment coming from the federal government. I've got dozens and dozens of people emailing me, calling, we're out of a job. I got laid off. My business is closing. By the way, mandated by the government. The government's the one telling them they got to close their business down. And we can't see fit to $1,000 per person to help them? You just took half of that away. 1000 plus 1200 that's $2,400. A family of four? Eight or nine thousand dollars. That's start to talk something they can actually survive on. Might help them get through the next couple months, but not now. Instead, I'm going to look at the people, go back in my district, and talk to you and go, "I'm sorry, we failed. I don't know how you're going to get by. Good luck." I've heard people talking here about the dividend. Well, that just goes to rich people. Don't need it. Well, I got news for you. Not everybody in my district is rich. And I had a little story here when I was lieutenant colonel, still up here making just north of six figures, a hundred something thousand a year with all the cost of housing, all that stuff. Married with two kids, $100,000. Median average income of the state, 77,000, roughly. We still had to watch our bills. If the car broke, we were struggling. And that was making north of $100,000. But somehow people that make that kind of money, they don't need the dividend. It's not gonna help now. No was a dividend, this $1,000 economic relief cracking open the penny bank. I'm stunned that we cannot help people now when they need it. I even said on the floor, I've been pretty adamant about trying to follow the statutory dividend. I said I didn't even care. 
if you burn your kingdom to the ground, trying to protect it, you rule over ashes. We need to get there. I'm having the same conversation as Monday. I don't. I had one lady wrote an email, and I'm not going to ask permission to read it, but I'm just going to summarize. And she sent it to me. She's like, Mike, she's like, I'm single and I got two kids. And she's like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. She was, doesn't have unemployed insurance, self-employed. The stuff's not there for her right now. She's losing everything. I've, I can repeat this dozens of times. And I sent her a response back tonight and said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I failed you. I don't know what to tell you. There's a promise that help is coming. We could do this now. We could get something to get you by a little bit longer. It can help. We're not. Folks, I don't know how to talk to these people. I don't know what to tell them. Sorry. Good luck. If you're drowning, I hope you know how to swim. I had one, one request. I, I hear people talk about holding your nose and passing the budget. This budget was too big for me. There's stuff hidden in it. We've gone too fast. We haven't vetted it. And I held my nose on Monday and voted for a budget that I did not like and do not support. Because there was two $1,000 markers in there that might help our people get by when they need it the most, and we're going to tell them no. And we can't even do that. I would have held my nose tonight had we, were help, had we helped Alaskans when they need it. And I would vote for it. But it's not there. And not only is it not there, I'm hearing strong arm tactics. I'm sorry, if you don't vote for it and you don't give us a CBR vote, not only that, we're going to make it 500. Maybe it'd be zero. I see how the game's played. Do as you're told, or we're going to hit you over the head. We're going to make you the bad guy. Tied COVID funding for this. All this stuff tied together. If I don't vote for this budget, if I don't vote for the CBR, then somehow I'm the bad guy. I want people to die. I'm not supporting COVID-19 because I don't vote for this budget. Or it's my fault people get a smaller PFD. Ridiculous. Ludicrous, I believe are words I've heard used in the past. Talk about fiscal responsibility, I hear that. Word out here, oh, I can't believe we're spending so much money. Maybe fiscal responsibility should have happened over the last 10 to 12 years when there's 14 billion in our CBR. Maybe we should have made the hard choices then while we had something. Right now, I've got Alaskans emailing me, calling, and every Alaskan, almost every Alaskan, not every Alaskan, there's people that are doing just fine, they're having to make tough decisions in their life right now. About buying food or medicine, staying in their apartment, moving in with friends and family, putting off education, minimum wage job if they even have it, which tens of thousands of them don't. And yet, in this building, we're going to disregard that and tell them, don't worry, help is on the way. The cavalry's coming sometime. While Alaskans are tightening their belts, and one lady sent me another email tonight. She told me she's been eating one meal a day. <laughs> one meal a day for the last couple of weeks. Because doesn't that work? There's nothing there yet. But while these people, the people we represent, are struggling and can't, don't know what's going to happen, they're angry, they're upset, they're on edge, not just about the virus, but the economic impacts. The legislature, we're not asking state agencies to tighten the belt. I'm a little confused. Alaskans, you better tighten your belt, but we're going to keep on spending the money. We're going to keep a flat budget. As a matter of fact, it's going up. That makes a lot of sense. 
Real hard to explain that going home. Feel like I'm on a runaway train here. Brakes are out, bridge is coming up, it's down. I don't even know what else to say. For a lot of you, that's, you're probably happy to hear that. So for me, ladies and gentlemen, voting for this budget, it just it violates my, what I see as my fiduciary duty to be asking this state to make sacrifices when the people are making sacrifices and I don't see us doing it. I see us getting strong-armed for a small group of people telling us what it's going to be and I'm going to have to vote for that and if not I'm the bad guy, sorry, not going to happen. This budget and the fact that we're not helping people now does a great disservice to the Alaskans we represent. I will not be a part of that and I Apologize for the length of this, but I appreciate your indulgence, Madam President. Thank you for allowing me the chance to speak. So he, I mean, he was very, I, I felt like he, he was really speaking from the heart. He was very passionate about this. I don't necessarily agree with everything he had to say, but he made a good, you know, he, he painted a good picture of where the minority position stands. Um, yeah. And, and a compelling one. Now, I mean, I don't know if you want to provide any other context for that particular senator. But. I, yeah, I mean, this guy is has been a real weirdo. I mean, he hasn't, he doesn't, he sort of, he's been real marginalized this session as you know, he hasn't played ball in the past. And whether or not you should be playing ball is a whole issue, right? I guess is it's, uh, you can debate on the merits of that. Um, but you know, he's been, you know, his his thing so far is that COVID nineteen is a you know, a conspiracy by China to ruin the world economy. So that's also, you know, some back, some context on there. Um, though, you know, I want to, so I mean, I feel like that's an important part, but it, again, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it's a wild, it's hard to take him seriously on some of it, but I do think that he does, you know, make a good impassioned argument for his position. I would say, you know, I think a lot of people were, pushed to their edges last night i think you know what we've proved is that nobody's really made any sort of substantial efforts that really compromise on any of this stuff and i think you know it's while he's pointing fingers at the majority for forcing him along you know i don't think he and his and the people that he's you know on his side the sort of the big full pfders um and you know cut government to pay my crowd i don't think they've ever shown any kind of, you know, meaningful uh, willingness to compromise on any of this stuff. I think that they, you know, that's the that's the whole problem here is that nobody really knows what the future is. Nobody really knows what the best response is going to be to that. Are we, you know, looking at multiple years of financial pain? Are we looking at, you know, three months of financial pain? You know, I think nobody really knows the answer to that. I would say that I think it's probably the responsible thing to plan for the long-term pain, I think, yeah. um, which is, I think, the the argument of a lot of people who um, opposed, you know, the supplemental PFD, the, this, uh, the idea of they, they'd pay an additional $1,000 out in the next few weeks. Um, you know, I do, I, I totally understand, too, the, the merits of some kind of financial payment like that. I think one of the most sort of compelling arguments that has been raised by several conservatives is really that, um, you know, the, the economic pain created by um, the coronavirus is 
is more of an effect of the government mandated measures to stay home, right? I mean, I think people would be a lot of people would be staying home in anyways, I think. But, you know, this is sort of the the pain is of this is comes from the solution, not directly from the disease, at least in Alaska, right at this very moment, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's kind of a, a feeling that if we, if the government is the one that's causing the pain, is the government's forcing you to stay home, the government's doing this X, Y, and Z, that it should kind of be the government that helps sort of take the pain off of it, right? And I think that that's a really good argument. I think, though, that a $1,000 payment one time isn't really a good durable solution to that, especially if we're looking at multiple a year or more of pain, especially for really affected industries like the tourism industry in Alaska. Yeah. Um, so well, I think, and that's, you know, and that's where if you look at this Senate bill 241, yeah. which was also passed last night, it, that's like the COVID response bill. And it, um, you know, I feel like the measures in there are a little more focused on the actual pain being caused rather than just throwing a bunch of money against the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, you know, you've got things in there like us, like there's a really interesting provision for, um, like a seafood buyback program where the, the state can purchase Alaska seafood to distribute to food banks, soup kitchens, and Alaska native organizations. And so that helps to keep, that helps to prop up our seafood industry, uh, in a time when they're going to be under a lot of duress and it also keeps people fed, you know, like, so that's a really interesting state program where they're actually like, that seems like a good use of money because people are going to need food and, and they want to keep the seafood industry viable. So like, there's a, there's a nice, um, there's a nice focused project. Um, you know, there's certain things in there, like they've outlawed price gouging. So, you know, you, like Fred Myers can't raise their yeah. prices 500%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. One of the, I think we're a really significant and I think one of the more hard fought provisions in that bill too, is, um, a, a three month pause on evictions. Um, so it was, and foreclosures on property owners too. So, I mean, I think that that's been a big discussion here in the legislature is, you know, where do we target some of this relief? You know, are we, you know, so a lot of the talk about um, eviction protection has come with, well, you know, there's a lot of landlords who are paying their bills based on people's rent. Um, And so there's that's, I think, where the foreclosure talk protections came from, too. Yeah, there's Um, there's provisions for for the possibility for vote by by mail if in-person voting isn't viable. Um, There's. there's things in there that put money towards homelessness. Anyone that becomes homeless as a result of COVID-19 is going to get some benefits um, or support out of it. The small business loans um, are, are going to be interesting. I believe those are distributed to kind of regional economic development corporations, and then they're kind of sick, figure, right. figuring out how to target small businesses. And I think that when they talk about small businesses, they're not talking about, like, when you talk about small businesses on the scale of the of the national picture, small businesses are quite large, but I think when they're talking about small businesses here, they're talking about businesses like the size of what I have. Um, cause there's so many businesses, we've talked about this before. One in 10 jobs in Alaska is, is affiliated with the tourism industry. Like, and that's going to just be a disaster. So like, I think that providing some relief for some of these small businesses, trying to figure out how to keep people employed is going to be tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, that's, all really interesting stuff. One of the, one of the things that, that I've been, I don't know, trying to understand a little bit better is just, you know, we've had this, we've talked about this split in, in ideology, you know, we've got these Republicans that are in the minority Republicans that are in the majority. 
um, that think very different things in, in the context of Alaska and how we should be saving and or spending our money. It, it's not very unified. It's not a very unified way of thinking uh, right now. And so that's kind of interesting to me. Well, and I think the, the really big thing that kind of cuts across all of it, right, is the talk about new revenue and, and new taxes or anything like that. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of where things start to break down, right, is that I think there's an agreement you know, I think you kind of could draw like different Venn diagrams of everybody, right? And there's there is a majority of people who agree that the dividend should be smaller, but how much smaller and why, you know, and and sort of the other options that are, you know come at the other end of that is sort of the unknown, right? And so you have a majority that says a smaller PFD, but like half of those people say, yeah, it's a smaller PFD and some taxes on the rich and those other and the other half of the people that want a smaller pfd say yeah a smaller pfd and maybe no pfd and no taxes on me in the rich you know and so it's kind of this i think that's kind of where it's going to really break down and and maybe 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 kind of shake things up a little bit right now because i think right now it seems like everybody's sort of stuck into these sort of the pfd versus the the not PFD versus their fiscal responsibility right now. And, and I think there's not really been any substantial movement on it. And it's made difficult because you have a governor who, you know, is on the side of the minority and has no interest in, in, in sort of changing his position in any sort of material way. Yeah. I, you know, the, one of the things I've been thinking about both just on the national scale of things and on the state level is just how our response to this crisis has been. Um, it's been so progressive like the idea of like we're going to give people money and and save their jobs and the government's going to support everyone and you see conservatives turning to government for the answer here um which is interesting because they also don't want the government to exist um many of <laughs> many of them and so it's it's wild to see that the solutions to these problems um kind of lie in uh, they have a similarity, they have a resonance with the past, you know, like we went through a Great Depression before, and the way we pulled out of it was through the New Deal. And like, that was a really progressive program. And it seems to me that like, there, it's not a, it's not a very big jump from like giving people cash payments because they lost their job to giving people cash payments, and then telling them, hey, do something for that cash payment. And then pretty soon you've got people out working again, and, and creating things and building things. And I was looking at I was looking back at this, uh, there's this great list of um, all the New Deal projects that happened in Alaska, and it just blew my mind. They're like all over the state, and they're all these like everything from shelters to uh, parks to sewers to schools, uh, streets, lighthouses, and like just tons and tons of, uh, of cultural works of art too. Um, you know, like and airports, like the Net Island Airport, the Juno Douglas Bridge, all of these things were like built during the New New Deal, when when the, when the government was basically paying people to do infrastructure work. And I I kind of wonder if if that's something that, you know, maybe not on the scale of Alaska government, but I think on the scale of like how are we going to get out of this impending depression? It might be really interesting to start investigating and learning more about how the new deal about how the new deal shaped alaska and about how we can recreate some of those successes because a lot of the great stuff we have and a lot of what catapulted us into statehood was this new deal infrastructure well what i'd actually really be curious is to how they kind of came up with what projects they'd be working on right because yeah. you know i think 
you know, so at the same time on Friday, as the legislature's wrapping up work, you know, the Alaska Industrial Development Export Authority, ADA, um, you know, was approving, you know, sort of shifting a bunch of money around in their funds to get going with um, the Ambler Mine. And they were really, they're using the guise of COVID-19 as, as sort of reason to be pushing on this project. They say that if they can get it going, it's 100 to 200 jobs of field work this year. But, you know, it's, it's building a road to a mine that nobody nobody in the community at least really wants. It's, you know, it's and the kind of questionable long-term benefit to Alaska at the same time. And so I think that's kind of, it's I, I, that's the sort of thing that when we talk about these sort of grand public works projects, makes me a little bit nervous when we start talking about Alaska and Alaska sort of, um, trigger happiness when it comes to roads to mines and roads across Knick Arm Bridge and stuff like that. So um, I think, you know, I look back at some of the ideas of the session that didn't get a whole lot of traction, but um, Representative Adam Wool from Fairbanks had a proposal to rework the dividend. And one of his ideas in it was, um, you know, some portion of the payout would go direct to community dividends. But I think it kind of makes some sense, you know, for to put hands sort of in the money of communities to direct. Just like, you know, you look at the small business loans that are, are going out that are being distributed through the economic development corporations of, the, of these communities. And so, you know, I think the the more involvement and kind of closer you can put the the money and the sort of decisions is the that much better, I think. Um, you know, you look at Another interesting thing too, you know, you look at the federal payout, federal stimulus bill. It's I think a hundred or one point two five billion dollars comes to Alaska, um, and sort of under other states, you know, if you have a city with over five hundred thousand people, that city gets some money, but because um, no city qualifies under that in Alaska, all the money goes to the state. And there's a lot of questions right now about what do we do with that money? Do you you know, do you slot it into the operating budget to replace money? Do you look at distributing it to communities or do you look at giving it to certain industries? Yeah, I'm I'm actually dealing with a similar question right now, oddly enough. So you, you know that I serve on the Alaska State Council for the Arts and um, there was $75 million worth of uh, relief funding included in the national bill that passed that's going to the arts. And some 40% of that will be distributed to the states. And based on some back of the envelope calculations, I think Alaska is probably going to end up with somewhere in the 300 to $350,000 range. So I'm, so this board I serve on is going to have this bucket of money to do something with. And right now I'm just in the very beginning stages of having conversations with arts organizations and artists about like, how do we put that to the highest and best use? And and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but like, do we uh, make cash payments to individual artists who are struggling to pay their bills that, that, that can demonstrate some sort of like community impact and fiscal need? Uh, do we support organizations that are, that are losing revenue? I just talked to a, someone at, a, at an arts organization that just lost $20,000 in ticket sales. Um, do we put it towards local arts agencies like the like the uh, Fairbanks Arts Association, the Juno Arts and Humanities Council. Um, you know, they impact a lot of artists and have a more on the ground local connection to communities. Um, so, or do we just like take all that money and st- stuff it into a giant bank account and call it the Alaska Cultural Trust and and p- make a more long term play at at making sure the arts in Alaska are funded in perpetuity? 
And so I don't right. really know the answer to this yet, but I'm in the process of trying to trying to figure out what I'm advocating for. And I know that ultimately it's not my decision solely when I'm part of a of a group of people making this decision, but it will be interesting to have that discussion about like, okay, well, how do we best put this money to use right now? Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I think it's sort of, you know, I think you, you, with some of these discussions, I think kind of starting at the end and trying to work your way backwards is really useful, right? I mean, what do you, like, what do you want your end goal to be? Do you want to be able to stand up certain artists? You would, do you want to be able to look back and say, you know, government funded this, you know, sort of body of work that was, you know, maybe even COVID-19 related or, did, you know, or is there free reign on it or is there, you know, survival or is it creation and new stuff? You know, I think those are all kind of interesting questions to be talking about right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, that is interesting. Like there are, so I think there's in individuals in Alaska that I want to make sure they're standing after this, you know, like we talked about identity a lot on this, uh, on our podcast. And I feel like there are, there are people in this state who are in a way our living identity and our voice and our memory. And, um, you know, we've got state writers, laureates and, um, you know, painters and photographers and filmmakers and, and, um, you know, culture bearers and just really, uh, people that I hope can navigate this. Um, and so, you know, my inclination on one hand is to like really, lean into making sure individuals can navigate this. Um, but then on the other hand, like I look at this idea of, of like, maybe we can actually create some longer term stability of like, if we create an endowment, maybe that will be, maybe that creates a, um, a, a nucleus or like a corpus of this fund that attracts more funding from other parts of the state, you know, maybe large donors will give some money. And so maybe we end up with more money than we would have had to begin with. And maybe that money starts spinning off more money. And then year over year, we've got something that we can grow and build on. And then the arts in Alaska have some assurance that they're funded in perpetuity. And like, that's kind of interesting to me too, is that we're, you know, maybe, if we can make it through this, we can have this long-term thing, but it, but maybe we can't, I don't know, but I, but maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's irresponsible to be thinking long-term when there's so many people in short-term danger right now. So I, don't I mean, Oh, it, all of a sudden it, it sort of sounds like your dilemma sounds a whole lot like the legislature right yeah, now. I mean, absolutely. That's the whole, that's the whole question, right? Is yeah. that, um, right. Do you, you pay know, out, do you pay out all this dividend money or do you save your money for like what's coming down the road? Actually. So going back to last night, I think Matt Clayman, um, representative Clayman gave a like kind of a disimpassioned, reasonable statement about like, Hey, Hey guys, we can just come back and meet again and give out this money later if we need to. And I, I was like, Oh yeah, right. It's like, we don't need to give out a thousand dollars right now we can do it next week or next month and that's still an option it's not that we've taken that option off the table yeah i mean i think that's sort of the the issue with this and we're i know we're bouncing around a lot right now but yeah um the the point with that is that you know i is a thousand dollars the right thing to do you know do we do we know that these cash payments are actually um, the fix for it, you know, I, or is there, is there something that's more effective? Is there something that's more narrowly tailored or is there, or is this the best way? And I would say that, you know, I, I'd hope that you'd be able to make the case one way or another, if you're going to be arguing, um, that way. And I think, 
um, that is sort of what I think I found frustrating um, listening to those arguments on Saturday or yeah Saturday night is that you know I think that people kind of landed on the the PFD cash payment just kind of because it was their position already you know and it was sort of an opportunity to argue for it and you know I think there are there's definitely merit to talking about universal basic income and income you know assurances and that sort of stuff but thousand dollars one time really isn't isn't that you know i think right you know the the talk between baggage and parnell in their economic thing is you know several payments um several monthly payments and i think that's that's right you know i think that's true if you are really looking at you know wage replacement like that i think something like monthly payments for a certain sort of durable known amount of time is the way to do it but the, the we can't do it you know we don't have the money to do it um like they want to they would want to and so i think it really creates a lot of difficulty when you know is a half measure fix better than you know something that is more effective at that level you know what's sort of the scale and scope that we could accomplish it with and i think you know you look at if if you were to rework it right i mean that's that's the problem is you know they they were talking about you know 100 million dollars of the supplemental pfd the 600 million some dollars they wanted to spend would go to people who are wealthy who don't need this kind of money and you know one senator says oh you know i'm sure people if they could would would give it up you know i'm sure the rich people and it's just like then our PFD payouts would be much smaller, right? And yeah. so I just don't think that, you know, it's not really being all that intellectually honest with the situation. I think that is, I, th- I think, what we really need moving forward is a little bit of intellectual honesty with some of this, a little bit of rigor to the debate. You know, I think there's not been, I think everyone sort of seemed to have heard the NPR, one NPR piece about what universal basic income is and just sort of gone off of that without a whole lot of additional understanding, to be honest. Like, yeah. I just don't think the the direct cash payments is a good is a good idea, but I think there's just a lot of there's not a lot of research on it, and there's not a lot of research that would say that a single one thousand dollar payment is good for six months of pain, you know. So some people are right that the government, you know, federal government, is much better positioned and equipped to be able to do these kind of payments, you know. And they are, you know, there's uh, yeah. the, the twelve hundred or thirteen hundred dollar check that's coming to many Americans in the next few weeks. I mean, um, it helps that they can print money. That's a big advantage yeah. that they have. And so I think that there's, you know, I think there's some real fear about what's next. And I think, um, you know, I think every, there are a lot, you know, the majority position ultimately ended up being like, let's hold on to as much as we can for now. We'll pay now one, one time, you know, one $1,000 PFD later this year. Which honestly kind of was sort of surprising that that's where we ended up, just given the $1,500, $1,600 sort of number in the last few years, like that we reduced it, you know, by another $600 this year is a whole issue that they really haven't brought up. But, you know, the the, the idea of what's next is, I, th- I think that's a really scary question for a lot of people involved in this. I think, you know, I think there are people that are hoping that oil just magically rebounds and everything's better. I think there are people who... Are worried that the next question, the next step is going to be taxes. I think there's people who's worried that the next step is going to be cuts. You know, and I think so. We really are like running out of runway here, or whatever kind of analogy you want to use. And I think that is that's what I think is sort of frustrating here is yeah. that um, it feels like ultimately what happened here was that they kind of got away with punting for another year. I was. Uh... 
you know, hanging out in the AK leg hashtag. And one of the people that was like really uh, stressed out about the income tax was like, how are people without their, without jobs going to be able to pay an income tax? And uh, it, I think that people don't realize that if you don't have any income, you don't pay an income tax. It's yeah. <laughs> and then it's marginal. The rates are marginal too. That, that, you know, that even if you're making more, not all that only when you get into that new bracket, your money's only taxed at that, whatever. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's so, I, I feel like there's so much misinformation about what income, what an income tax looks like and how it functions and who pays it and how much, like when, when people come out the door and say, oh, the average income tax rate is this, like, that's not what everyone pays or what anyone pays really. And it, I don't know, it's, I get, I get very frustrated with, uh, anti-income tax junk that, isn't doesn't have any merit to it but well and i think grumble grumble you know, grumble, and, grumble grumble well and the, the other idea you know we're getting we should probably start wrapping this yeah up we're getting off in the really far field. yeah but you know the, this idea of data right i think that is the whole problem where we're at right now i think that's the takeaway that i think i i had on monday on sunday saturday night is that we really nobody really knows what's going to happen right and nobody really we don't really have great data on any of these sort of metrics we don't know how the pfd is really used we don't really have a lot of information we kind of have these sort of one-off anecdotal anecdotal things or or small studies we don't have this like big rigorous understanding of how the money is spent or what its social impacts are um and i think the same thing kind of goes for stuff like the an income tax right i think you would an income tax would give you a lot of information about how alaskans are making money and where it's going and what kind of industries you're working in and and where that you know where the wages are in alaska i think that would be really an interesting sort of set of information to have and i think it would also you know i think it would encourage a lot of policymakers to be a little more understanding about how the policies that they are doing hamper or hinder or or help business right i mean i think if you have an income tax you you know people who want to have a state budget are incentivized to have more jobs and have better people, you know, have more higher wages. Right. And so there would be, I think, um, you know, some uh, incentive to, to work on those sort of things, to work on things where it makes it easier for people to start businesses and be successful and that sort of stuff. And so um, that's where I kind of land when we talk about the tax thing is that I think there's a way to connect. I, I think the legislature ends up being incredibly disconnected with this sort of stuff. You look at the this budget discussion right now. You know, I think the whole hyper focus on a thousand dollar immediate payout is totally kind of misses the bigger picture. And I think um, I think that is where the legislature really lacks a lot of that bigger picture vision right now. So yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to talk about? COVID-19 at all before we go, or do we want to end on a more positive note? Oh, man, it's scary. It is scary. Um, the The interesting thing I saw in the news today was that they finally released a number. Um, it's, what is it, March 29th, and they finally released a number, a uh, count of ventilators. So they say that Alaska has approximately 200 ventilators and 160 yeah. ICU beds. So looking forward, that is pretty scary, um, considering how many people are likely to uh, get this and how many people are likely to need treatment. Um, we're up to three deaths and 114 confirmed cases. 
um, but cases haven't been growing the the they haven't been growing as rapidly as I thought they might lately, but I think we're due for a pretty big jump um, because a few days ago there's a giant jump in testing. So I think we're going to see that re- yeah. reflected in the results uh, pretty soon. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, data, right? This is the data is knowledge sort of thing. You know, it's, you know, we don't really know what it is doing right now because of this lack of testing. And I think it's really easy to get a false sense of security too. I think, I look at my personal life right now and it's like, okay, well, I've been doing this for, you know, two and a half, three weeks now and I'm not sick and the numbers aren't going up like crazy. So I guess it's working. I guess we'll be done with it soon, right? It's kind of this thinking, but, you know, you don't know how it's doing because you don't know about how the testing is. And it feels really uncertain because you look around at the other areas when it does get worse but you know that the, it could be that you know the social distancing efforts in anchorage have put a slow to things you know i think but again we don't we don't know we will find out eventually hopefully yeah yeah and and we yeah. you know i think they will they will impact things like the the stay-at-home order will impact things but these are echoes again we're seeing we're seeing things that in our data today we're seeing what was happening two weeks ago and so uh you know it'll be two weeks out now until we see the impact of the the stay in place order for the statewide you know um the statewide stay in place order so it'll be it's there's this weird lag to policy and to data and to what's happening and what we what we know and understand all right well Until next time? Until next time. Yeah. It's good talking with you, Matt. Yeah, it's good talking with you, too. Take care. Goodbye, Alaska. Bye, Alaska. Hey, this is Pat Race. If you want to support this podcast or any of my other creative projects, you can become a patron of my work at patreon.com slash alaskarobotics. If you want to find more of Matt Buxton's political writing, he's at midnightsunak.com. All right, thanks for listening, and uh, stay safe out there.